Chapter Two of The Gamekeeper at Home. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Minter. The Gamekeeper at Home by Richard Jeffreys. Chapter Two His Family and Cast. The interior of the cottage is exquisitely clean. It has that bright, pleasant appearance which is only possible when the housewife feels a pride in her duties and goes about them with a cheerful heart. Not a speck of dust can be seen upon the furniture, amongst which is a large old-fashioned sofa. The window-panes are clear and transparent, a certain sign of loving care expended on the place, as on the other hand dirty windows are an indication of neglect so much so that the character of the cottager may almost be guessed from a glance at her glass. The keeper's wife is a buxom, vivacious dame, whose manners, from occasional contact with the upper ranks, the ladies from the great house sometimes look in for a few minutes to chat with so old a servant of the family, are above what is usually found in her station. She receives her callers, and they are many, with a quiet, respectful dignity, desirous of pleasing, yet quite at her ease. Across the back of the sofa there lies a rug of some beautiful fur which catches the eye, but which at first the visitor cannot identify. Its stripes are familiar, and not unlike the tiger's, but the colour is not that of the forest tyrant. She explains that this rug comes within her special sphere. It is a carriage rug of cat-skin, the skins carefully selected to match exactly, and cured and prepared in the same way as other more famous furs. They have only just been sewn together, and the rug is now spread on the sofa to dry. She has made rugs, she will tell you, entirely of black cat-skins, and very handsome they looked, but not equal to this, which is wholly of the tabby. Certainly the gloss and the stripe, the soft warmth and feel to the hand, seem to rival many foreign and costly importations. Besides carriage-rugs, the gamekeeper's wife has made others for the feet, some many-coloured, like Joseph's coat. All the cats to which these skins belonged were shot or caught in the traps set for vermin by her husband and his assistants. The majority were wild, that is, had taken up their residence in the woods, reverting to their natural state, and causing great havoc among the game. Feasting like this, and in the joys of freedom, many had grown to a truly enormous size, not in fat, as the domestic animal does, but in length of back and limb. These afforded the best skins. Perhaps out of eight or nine killed, but two would be available or worth preserving. This gives an idea of the extraordinary number of cats which stray abroad and get their living by poaching. They invariably gravitate towards the woods. The instance in point is taken from an outlying district far from a town, where the nuisance is comparatively small. But in the preserves, say from ten to twenty miles round London, the cats thus killed must be counted by thousands. Families change their homes, the cat is driven away by the newcomer and takes to the field. In one little copse, not more than two acres extent and about twelve miles from Hyde Park Corner, fifteen cats were shot in six weeks, and nearly all in one spot, their favourite haunt. When two or three wild or homeless animals take up their abode in a wood, they speedily attract half a dozen hitherto tame ones, and if they were not destroyed, it would be impossible to keep either game or rabbits. She has her own recipes for preserving furs and feathers, 
and long practice has rendered her an adept. Here are squirrels' skins also prepared, some with the bushy tail attached and some without. They vary in size and the colour of the tail, which is often nearly white, in others more deeply tinged with red. The fur is used to line cloaks, and the tail is sometimes placed in ladies' hats. Now and then she gets a badger skin, which old country folk used to have made into waistcoats, said to form an efficacious protection for weak chests. She has made rugs of several sewn together, but not often. In the storeroom upstairs there are a few splendid fox skins, some with the tails tipped with white, others tipped with black. These are used for ladies' muffs and look very handsome, the tail being occasionally curled round the muff. This sounds a delicate matter and dangerously near the deadly sin of vulpicide, but it is not so. In these extensive woods, with their broad fringes of firs and heath, the foxes now and then become inconveniently numerous, and even cub-hunting will not kill them off sufficiently, especially if a great head of game is kept up, for it attracts every species of beast of prey. Besides the damage to game, the concentration of too many foxes in one district is opposed to the interests of the hunt, first because the attendant destruction of neighbouring poultry causes an unpleasant feeling, next because when the meat takes place the plethora of foxes spoils the sport. The day is wasted in chopping them at every corner, the pack breaks up into several sections, despite whip, horn and voice, and a good run across country cannot be obtained, so that once, now and then, a judicious thinning out is necessary, and this is how the skins come into the hands of the keeper's wife. The heads go to ornament halls and staircases, so do the pads and occasionally the brush. The teeth make studs set in gold, and no part of Reynard is thrown away, since the dogs eagerly snap up his body. Once or twice she made a moleskin waistcoat for a gentleman. This is a very tedious operation. Each little skin has to be separately prepared, and when finished hardly covers two square inches of surface. Consequently it requires several scores of skins, and the work is a year or more about. There is then the sewing together, which is not to be accomplished without much patience and skill. The fur is beautifully soft and glossy, with more resemblance to velvet than is possessed by any other natural substance, and very warm. Mittens for the wrists are also made of it, and skull-caps. Moleskin waistcoats used to be thought a great deal of, but are now only met with occasionally as a curiosity. The old wooden mole-trap is now almost extinct, superseded by the modern iron one, which anybody can set up. The ancient contrivance, a cylinder of wood, could only be placed in position by a practised hand, and from his experience in this, the mole-catcher, locally called unt-catcher, used to be an important personage in his way. He is now fast becoming extinct also, that is, as a distinct handicraftman spending his whole time in such trapping. He was not infrequently a man who had once occupied a subordinate place under a keeper, and when grown too feeble for harder labour, supported himself in this manner, contracting with the farmers to clear their fields by the season. Neither stoats nor weasels' skins are preserved, except now and then for stuffing to put under a glass case, though the stoat is closely allied to the genuine ermine. Polecats, too, are sometimes saved for the same purpose. In many woods they seem now quite extinct. The otter skin is valuable, but does not often come under the care of the keeper's wife. 
the keeper now and then shoots a grebe in the mere where the streamlet widens out into a small lake which again is bordered by water meadows this bird is uncommon but not altogether rare sometimes two or three are killed in the year in this southern inland haunt he also shoots her some jays whose wings as likewise the black and white magpie are used for the same decorative purposes certain feathers from the jay are sought by the gentlemen who visit the great house to make artificial flies for salmon fishing of kingfishers she preserves a considerable number for ladies hats and some for glass cases once or twice she has been asked to prepare the woodpecker whose plumage and harsh cry entitle him to the position of the parrot of our woods gentlemen interested in natural history often commission her husband to get them specimens of rare birds and in the end he generally succeeds though a long time may elapse before they cross his path for them she has prepared some of the rare owls and hawks she has a store of peacock's feathers every now and then people especially ladies call at the cottage and purchase these things country housewives still use the hare's pad for several domestic purposes was not the hare's foot once kept in the printing offices the keeper's wife has nothing to do with rabbits but knows that their skins and fur are still bought in large quantities she had heard that geese were once kept in large flocks almost entirely for their feathers which were plucked twice a year she thinks but this is not practised now at least not in the south she has had snake skins or more properly sloughs for the curious it is very difficult to get one entire they are fragile and so twisted in the grass where the snake leaves them as to be generally broken some country folk put them in their hats to cure headache which is a very old superstition but more in sport than earnest there are no deer now in the park there used to be a hundred years ago and her husband has found several cast antlers in the wood the best are up at the great house but there is one on her staircase will i take a few chestnuts it is winter the proper time and these are remarkably fine no tree is apparently so capricious in its yield as the chestnut in english woods the fruit of many is so small as to be worthless or else it does not reach maturity but these large ones are from a tree which bears a fine nut her husband has them saved every year here also are half a dozen truffles if i will accept them most that are found go up to the great house but of late years they have not been sought for so carefully because coming in quantities from abroad these truffles are found she believes in the woods where the soil is chalky she used to gather many native herbs but tastes have changed and new seasonings and sauces have come into fashion out of doors in his work the assistant upon whom the gamekeeper places his chief reliance is his own son a lad hardly taller than the gun he carries but much older than would be supposed at first sight it is a curious physiological fact that although the open-air life is so favourable to health yet it has the apparent effect of stunting growth in early youth let two children be brought up together one made to rough it out of doors and the other carefully tended and kept within other things being equal the boy of the drawing-room will be taller and to all appearance more developed than his companion the labourers children for instance who play in the lonely country roads and fields all day whose parents lock their cottage doors when leaving for work in the morning so that their offspring shall not gain entrance and get into mischief are almost invariably short for their age 
In their case something may be justly attributed to coarse and scanty food, but the children of working farmers exhibit the same peculiarity. And although their food is not luxurious in quality, it is certainly not stinted in quantity. Some of the ploughboys and carters' lads seem scarcely fit to be put in charge of the huge cart-horses who obey their shouted orders, their heads being but little way above the shafts, mere infants to look at. Yet they are fourteen or fifteen years of age. With these, and with the sons of farmers, who in like manner work in the field, the period of development comes later than with town-bred boys. After sixteen or eighteen, after years of hesitation, as it were, they suddenly shoot up, and become great hulking broad fellows, possessed of immense strength. So the keeper's boy is really much more a man than he appears, both in years and in knowledge, meaning thereby that local intelligence, technical ability, and unwritten education, which is the resultant of early practice, and is quite distinct from book-learning. From his father he has imbibed the spirit of the woods, and all the minutiae of his art. First he learnt to shoot, his highest ambition being satisfied in the beginning, when permitted to carry the double-barrel home across the meadow. Then he was allowed occasionally to fire off the charges left in after the day's work, before the gun was hung against the beam. Next, from behind the fallen trunk of an oak, he took aim at a sitting rabbit, which he had raised himself on his hindquarters to listen suspiciously, resting the heavy barrels on the tree, and made nervous by the whispered instructions from the keeper kneeling on the grass out of sight behind. "'Aim at his shoulder, lad, if he be sitting sidelong. If a be got his back to he, aim at his ball.' From this it was but a short step to be trusted with the single barrel, and finally with the double, ultimately having one of his own, and walking his own distinct rounds. He is now a keen shot, even better than his father, for it is often observed that at a certain age young beginners in most manual arts reach an excellence which in later years fails them. Perhaps the muscles are more elastic, and respond instantaneously to the eye. This mere boy, at snap-shooting in the rough, will beat crack sportsman hollow. At the trap with pigeons, he would probably fail, but in a narrow lane, where the rabbits, driven out by the ferrets, just pop across barely a yard of open ground, where even a good shot may miss repeatedly, he is death itself to the bunnies. So too with a wood hare, i.e. those hares that always lie in the woods, as others do in the open fields and on the uplands. They are difficult to kill. They slip quietly out from the form in the rough grass under the ash-stole, and all you have for guidance is the rustling, and perhaps the tips of the ears, the body hidden by the tangled dead ferns and rowety stuff. When you try to aim, the barrel knocks against the ash-poles, which are inconveniently near together, or the branches get in the way, and the hare dodges round a tree, and your cartridge simply barks a bough, and cuts a tall dead thistle in twain. But the keeper's lad, who had waited for your fire, instantly follows, as it seems hardly lifting his gun to his shoulder, and the hare is stopped by the shot. Rabbit-shooting also, in an ashwood like this, is trying to the temper. They double and dodge, and if you wait, thinking that the brown rascals must presently cross the partially open space yonder, lo, just at the very edge up go their white tails, and they dive into the bowels of the earth, having made for hidden burrows. There is, of course, after all, nothing but a knack in these things. Still, it is something to have acquired the knack, the lad, if you ask him, will proudly show off several gun-tricks, as shooting left-handed, placing the butt at the left instead of the right shoulder, 
and pulling the trigger with the left finger. He will knock over a running rabbit like this, and at short distances can shoot with tolerable certainty from under the arm without coming to the present, or even holding the gun out like a pistol with one hand. By slow degrees he has obtained an intimate acquaintance with every field on the place, and no little knowledge of natural history. He will decide at once, as if by a kind of instinct, where any particular bird or animal will be found at that hour. He is more bitter than his father against poachers, and would like to see harder measures dealt out to them, but his chief use is in watching or checking the assistants who act as beaters, ferreters, or keep up the banks and fences about the preserves, etc. Without a doubt these men are very untrustworthy, and practise many tricks. For instance, when they are set to ferret a bank, what is to prevent them, if the coast is clear, from hiding half a dozen dead rabbits in a burrow? Digging has frequently to be resorted to, and thus they can easily cast earth over and conceal the entrance to a hole. Many a wounded hare and pheasant that falls into the hands of these beaters never makes its appearance at the table of the sportsman, and doubtless they help themselves to the game captured in many a poacher's wire before giving notice of its discovery to the head man. Some of these assistants wear waistcoats of calfskin with the hair on it. The hair is outside, and the roan and white colour has a curious appearance. The material is said to be very warm and durable. Such waistcoats were common years ago, but of late the looms and spindles of the manufacturing districts have reduced the most outlying of the provinces to a nearly dead uniformity of shoddy. One pair of eyes cannot be everywhere at once. Consequently, the keeper, as his son grew up, found him a great help in this way. While he goes one road, the lad goes the other, and the undermen never feel quite certain that someone is not about. Perhaps partly for this reason, the lad is not a favourite in the village, and few, if any, of the other boys make friends with him. He is too loyal to permit of their playing trespass. He looks down on them as a little lower in the scale. Do they ever speak, even in the humblest way, to the proprietor of the place? In their turn, they ostracise him after their fashion, so that he becomes a silent, solitary youth, self-reliant and old for his years. He is a daring climber, as after the hawk's nest, generally made in the highest elms or pines, if that species of tree is to be found, taking the young birds to some farmhouse where the children delight in living creatures. Some who are not children, or are children of a larger growth, like to have a tame hawk in the garden, clipping the wings so that it shall not get away. Hawks have the most amusing tricks, and in time become comparatively tame, at least to the person who feeds them. The beauty of the hawk's eye can hardly be surpassed, full, liquid, and piercing. In this way the keeper's boy often gets a stray shilling also for young owls, which are still kept in some country houses in the sheds or barns to destroy the mice. When the corn was threshed with the flail, and was constantly exposed to the ravages of these creatures, if undisturbed they multiply in such numbers as would scarcely be credited, owls were almost domestic birds, being domiciled in every barn. Now they are more objects of curiosity, though still useful when large teams of horses are kept and require grain. The keeper's boy sells two young squirrels from time to time, and the eggs of the rarer birds. In short, he has imbibed all the ways of the woods, and is an adept at everything, from harling a rabbit upwards. By the by, what is the etymology of harling, which seems to have the sense of entangling?' 
it is done by passing the blade of the knife between the bone of the thigh and the great sinew where there is nothing but skin and then thrusting the other foot through the hole thus made the rabbit or hare can then be conveniently carried by the loop thus formed or slung on a stick or the gun barrel across the shoulder of course the harling is not done until the animal is dead the book learning of the keeper's boy is rather limited for he was taught by the parish clerk and schoolmaster before the education acts were formulated still he can read and pause over the weekly paper of rural sports etc taken for the guests at the great house and when out of date sent down to the keeper's cottage in fact he shows a little too much interest in the turf columns to be quite satisfactory to his father who is somewhat anxious about his acquaintance with the jockeys from the training stables on the downs hard by an acquaintance he discourages as tending to no good like his father he is never seen abroad without a pair of leathern gaiters and if not a gun a stout gnarled ash-stick in his hand the gamekeeper's calling naturally tends to perpetuate itself and become hereditary in his family the life is full of attractions for boys the gun alone is hardly to be resisted and in addition there are the animals and birds with which the office is associated and the comparative freedom from restraint therefore one at least of his lads is sure to follow in his father's steps and after a youth and early manhood spent out of doors in the woods it is next to impossible for him ever to quit the course he has taken his children again must come within reach of similar influences and thus for a lengthened period there must be a predisposition towards this special occupation long service in one particular situation is not so common now as it used to be men move about from place to place but wherever they are they still engage in the same capacity and once a gamekeeper always a gamekeeper is pretty nearly true even in the present day instances of families holding the office for more than one or two generations on the same estate may be found and years ago such was often the case occasionally the keeper's family has in this way by the slow passage of time become in a sense associated with that of his employer many years of faithful service sensibly abridging the social gulf between master and servant the contrary holds equally true and so at the present day short terms of service and constant changes are accompanied by a sharp distinction separating employer and employee in such cases of long service the keeper holds a position more nearly resembling the retainer of the olden time than perhaps any other institution of modern life pensioned off in his old age in the cottage where he was born or which at any rate he first entered as a child he potters about under his own vine and fig tree i e the pear and damson trees he planted forty years before and is privileged now and then to give advice on matters arising out of the estate he can watch the young broods of pheasants still and superintend the mixing of their food his trembling hand upon the back of which the corded sinews are so strongly marked now the tissue has wasted and over which the blue veins wander can set a trap where the vermin becomes too venturesome he is yet a terror to evil-doers and in no jot abates the dignity of more vigorous days so that the superannuated ancients whose task it is to sweep the fallen leaves from the avenue and the walks near the great house or to weed the gravel drive in feeble acknowledgment of the charitable dole they receive fall too briskly when they see him coming with besom and rusty knife wherewith to uck out the springing grass he daily gossips with the head gardener 
as old or older than himself, but his favourite haunt is a spot on the edge of a fir plantation, where lies a fallen stick of timber. Here, sheltered by the thick foliage of the fir and the hawthorn hedge at his back from the wind, he can sit on the log and keep watch over a descending slope of meadow bounding the preserves and crossed by footpaths along which loiterers may come. His sturdy son now sways the sceptre of ash over the old woods, and other descendants are employed about the place. Sometimes in the great house there may be seen the counterfeit presentment of such a retainer, limbed fifty years ago with dog and gun, and characteristic background of trees. His wife has perhaps survived till recently, strong and hale almost to the last, the most voluble gossip of the hamlet, full of traditions relating to the great house and its owners, a virago if crossed. It is recorded that upon one occasion in her prime she confronted a couple of poachers, and by dint of tongue and threats of assistance close at hand forced them to retire. It was at night that, her husband being from home, and hearing shots in the wood, she sallied forth armed with a gun, faced the poachers, and actually drove them away, doubtless as much from fear of recognition as of bodily injury, though even that she was capable of inflicting, being totally fearless. Nothing can be more natural than when a man has shown an earnest desire to give satisfaction, and proved himself honest and industrious, his employer should exhibit an interest in the welfare of his family. Now and then a small farm may be found in the hands of a man descended from or connected with a keeper. To successfully work a tenancy of such narrow limits, it is necessary that the occupier should himself labour in the field from morn till dewy eve, the capacity to work being even more essential than capital, and so it happens that the smaller farms are occasionally held by men who have risen from the lower classes, the sons of keepers also become gentlemen's servants, as grooms, etc., in or out of the house. A proposal was not long since made that gentlemen who had met with misfortune, or were unable to obtain congenial employment, should take service as gamekeepers, after the manner in which ladies were invited to become helps. The idea does not appear to have received much practical support, nor does it seem feasible, looking at the altered relations of society in these days. A gentleman out of luck, and with a taste for outdoor life, and no objection to work, could surely do far better in the colonies, where he could shoot for his own hand, and in course of time achieve an independence which he could never hope to attain as a gamekeeper. In the olden times, no doubt, younger brothers did in fact become gamekeepers, head-grooms, huntsmen, etc., to the head of the family. There was less of the sense of servitude and loss of dignity when the feeling of clanship was prevalent when the great house was regarded as the natural and proper resource of every cadet of the family. But all this is changed, and for a man of education to descend to trapping vermin, filling cartridges, and feeding pheasants all his life, would be a palpable absurdity, with Australia open to him, and the virgin soil of Central Africa eager for tillage. Neither is every man's constitution capable of withstanding the wear and tear of a keeper's life. I have delineated the more favourable side already, but it has its shadows. Robust health, power of bearing fatigue, and above all of sustaining constant exposure in our most variable climate, are essential. No labourer is so exposed as the keeper. The labourer does not work in continued wet, and he is sure of his night's rest. The keeper is often about the best part of the night, and he cannot stay indoors because it rains. The woods are lovely in the sunshine of summer, 
they are full of charm when the leaves are bursting forth in spring or turning brown with the early autumn frosts but in wet weather in the winter they are the most wretched places conceivable in which to stroll about the dead fern and the long grass are soaked with rain and cling round the ankles with depressing tenacity every now and then the feet sink into the sodden masses of decaying leaves a good deal too of the soil itself is soft and peaty being formed from the decomposed vegetation of years while the boughs against which the passer-by must push fly back and send a cold shower down the neck in fog as well as in rain the trees drip continuously the boughs condense the mist and it falls in large drops a puff of wind brings down a tropical shower in warm moist weather the damp steam that floats in the atmosphere is the reverse of pleasant but a thaw is the worst of all when the snow congealed on the branches and against the trunks on the windward side slips and comes down in slushy icy fragments and the south-west or south-east wind laden with chilling moisture penetrates to the very marrow even robin hood is recorded to have said that he could stand all kinds of weather with impunity except the wind which accomplishes a thaw wet grass has a special faculty for saturating leather the very boots with which you may wade into a stream up to your ankles in perfect comfort are powerless to keep out the dew or raindrops on the grass blades the path of the keeper is by no means always strewn with flowers probably the number of keepers has much increased of recent years since the flood-tide of commercial prosperity set in every successful merchant naturally purchases an estate in the country and as naturally desires to see some game upon it this necessitates a keeper and his staff then game itself meaning live game has become a marketable commodity bought and sold very much as one might buy a standing crop of wheat owners of land whose properties are hardly extensive enough to enable them to live in the state which is understood by the expression country seat frequently now resort to certain expedients to increase their incomes they maintain a head of game large in comparison with the acreage of course this must be attended to by a resident keeper and they add to the original mansion various attractive extra buildings i e a billiard-room conservatories and a range of modern stabling the object of course is to let the house the home farm and the shooting for the season including facilities for following the hunt the proprietor is consequently only at home in the latter part of the spring and in the summer sometimes not even then again there are large properties copyhold or held under long leases from corporate bodies the tenants having the right to shoot instead of exercising the power themselves they let the shooting it consists mainly of partridges hares and rabbits and one of their men looks after the game combining keeping a general watch with other duties professional men and gentlemen of independent income residing in county towns frequently take shooting of this kind the farmers who farm their own land often make money of their game in the same way gentlemen too combine and lease the shooting over wide areas and of course find it necessary to employ keepers to look after their interests the upper class of tradesmen in county and provincial towns where any facilities exist now sometimes form a private club or party and rent the shooting over several farms having a joint stock interest in one or more keepers poor land which used to be of very little value has by the planting of covers and copses and the erection of a cottage for the keeper and a small box for temporary occupation 
in many cases been found to pay well if easily accessible from towns game in short was never so much sought after as at present and the profession of gamekeeping is in no danger of falling into decay from lack of demand for the skill in woodcraft it implies End of chapter 2